Hi, welcome to Offscript. I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Today on the show, we're reviewing the new Disney film remake sequel thing. Uh, uh, Mary Poppins Returns. We'll also be taking a look at a film from last year, Amazon Prime's Beautiful Boy. But first, we need to talk about the news. And before we get too far into it, we are going to talk about the Golden Globes. But we got two <laughs> stories first, so sit tight, all right? We're going to give you a, a little bit of a tease. Before we get there, the first story, uh, a Vanilla Ice rep- biopic is reportedly in development starring Dave Franco. Vanilla Ice. Cool as ice. <laughs> yes. Andy, you found this story. What do you think about this? You know, I, I keep saying this, that we keep getting music biopics we don't need. Like, if someone's still alive and only, like, 20 years old, and if everyone can remember them at the height of their fame, I don't feel like it's a movie we need. If you were born in, like, 2005... I mean, maybe you don't know who Vanilla Ice is, but you probably also don't care either. Right. It's it's the guy that ripped off under pressure. It's not that tough. I, you know, I saw this headline, and, and yeah, it's worth a chuckle, but at the same time, I've got this. It's 2019. All right. I'm optimistic. It's a new year, new me. Why not? And, and I think, I genuinely think, hear me out, this movie, there's a world in which this movie totally works. And the only way I could see it happening is if, one... It's not really a comedy, which is kind of outside Franco's wheelhouse. But he did The Disaster Artist. It wasn't so bad. Uh, If he could play this pretty straight, and I know that's a lot for Vanilla Ice, but hear me out. If he could play Vanilla Ice (laughs) pretty straight, and they went with like some awesome hyper-stylized look. I think of like Pain and Gain, the Michael Bay film, or, or even something like... Those scenes from La La Land where Ryan Gosling's in an 80s band. Like, there's a way you could do it where you play it totally legit and it would work. Some of that mid-90s maybe. Like, it's it's genuinely possible for this to not be that stupid. But on its face, Vanilla Ice is stupid. So the movie <laughs> sounds stupid. What do you think? Well, it's also like, uh, you know, there's the Elton John music biopic as well. And I'm like, he's still alive and touring. Why are we doing? But everyone knows who that is. Everyone's aware of the stories. Uh, You know, some of the story elements it's going to touch on is like him struggling to develop his style, um, his brush with Suge Knight and Death Row Records, where allegedly Suge Knight held him, threatened to throw him over like off a balcony if he didn't sign over the rights to a certain song, you know. But again, this is things that most people know if you grew up in the last 20 years and it's just it just seems a little unnecessary and it's going to be like, oh, let's see how 90s we can make him look or it's going to tap into that nostalgia factor. Yeah. And and to be fair, the, yeah, the musical biopics right now are huge. And I'm sure Mr. Ice is well aware of that. And that's ultimately why I don't think this will work because there's no way that dude lets a team of outsiders take his image and run with it however they want. He's going to have control. He's going to say, no, this has to be this way and this has to be this way. And ultimately, that's going to trash it because that's what ruins almost any creative project. People who hold it too near and dear to their hearts. Like, I I think if it was after his death, I think this thing would stand a much better chance because it would be an outsider's perspective. Uh, But instead, I'm sure he's going to have a say in it. Odds are he probably commissioned the freaking thing because he's looking at Bohemian Rhapsody. and He's looking at Rocket Man. He's looking at all of them. And he's thinking to himself, man, I can make a mint. Um, I, I hope that's not the case. It probably is. Uh, stay tuned for Vanilla Ice. Right. Well, and, and here's the the other thing is like, okay, so Bohemian Rhapsody, they have, you know, 20, 30 years of, of music. Same thing with someone like Elton John and these others. Vanilla Ice has one song. Like, he had one right. hit, and that was it. Like, how are you going to make a whole movie about a musical artist who was a one-hit wonder? I, any any guesses on the name? Because if I had to guess, it's got to be Ice, right? No, I think it, I think it's already they've already decided on it. it's called To the Extreme. Oh God! Which even I the name was, is horrible. It was the name of one of the album that Ice Ice Baby was on. Nope, should have called it Ice. That would have been that would have been like the cool, clean way to go. Uh, Bohemian Rhapsody, Rocket Man. I, you can't call it Ice Ice Baby. That's too stupid. Like I don't I don't feel yeah. like people are gonna walk up to the box office and be like, "Can I get two for Ice Ice Baby?" They'll order on their phones. We live at a different time. It's fine. The next story, an animated <laughs> adaptation of Batman the Long Halloween is reportedly in the works. Andy, what the hell, for the rest of us who don't read comic books, is Batman the Long Halloween? Okay, so th- this story has me really excited because the Long Halloween is what the Dark Knight is mostly based off, or it's heavily based on or influenced by that story arc. Yeah. Um, and it kind of deals with uh, a, a similar origin story of, of Harvey Dent, uh, 
uh, Commissioner Gordon and Batman working together to take down the crime family, and they deal with this. Uh, every month, there's a new crime or there's a new murder, and you know, it, it has kind of the Joker and the pantheon of uh, of the Rogues Gallery, um, and it's you know much more comic book esque. Uh, but it, like I said, it heavily influenced the the Dark Knight. It's one of the best Batman stories uh, there is. Um, and it's I'm really excited for them to to do an animated version of it. Now, normally, uh, uh, folks who who don't aren't regular listeners of the show know. When it comes to comic book stories, I'm a little wary because I don't really know them, and there's a lot of comic book movie news out there. Uh, this one, however, grabs my interest, and it's a little bit because of our next story. Not to bury the lead on that, because Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse came out, and that movie was tremendous. And when it when I when I first saw a trailer for it, I said DC should be making movies like that. And a lot of people said, yeah, they should. And other people said, well, hold on. You haven't seen it yet. And other people said, DC is doing their own thing. They're playing their own game. Just like the DCEU, their movies are a little bit slower. They're a little bit more methodical. They're more based in writing. They don't have to be competing with Marvel all the time. And I agree to a point because Spider-Man just won a Golden Globe. So with that in mind, with the animation that just came out of that studio and with them picking up, a project like this, is there any possibility they're going to do any kind of hard left turn and try something new here? Or are they going to go with the same classic, you know it, you love it, DC animation? What do you think we can expect? I think they'll probably play it pretty safe. Um, I don't think they're prepared to spend $90 million bucks twice, especially because it's going to be in two parts. Um, I, I just don't think they're they're prepared to take that kind of risk, spend that ty- type of money. And their, their animated films are pretty good and you know much better than their films arguably so i think they'll probably keep it pretty safe uh, but like i said it, it's a great story everyone should read it and it like i said heavily influenced the dark knight it's definitely a read you got to do yeah i agree and, and i think you're right like ultimately this is something they've been working on for a little while it's not like spider-man came out and they were like oh god we got to come back with something epic and do it real big we should take the best story we have and gamble on an experimental animation with it. Like, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse was relatively an original story. Like, it took existing properties, but they combined them in a fun new way. This is an adaptation. So I think you're right. I think they'll play it safe. But I do hope to see a little bit more experimentation out of DC. I think there's really a space to do something different. While Spider-Man did some really cool uh, 2D stuff, like, there's so much opportunity for creativity in there. And it doesn't have to just be that kind of janky animation they seem to have. But a lot of people like that. There's some diehard DC fans, and I get that. you got to play to your base. So for what it's worth, uh, keep it right here for more on uh, The Long Night. The next story we have, and our second to last one, actually. This isn't quite it, so stay tuned for the next thing. Uh, The Golden Globes 2019 have happened. Uh, Andy, you've got some hot takes on the Globes. Last year you said it, and I said, nah, you're a stickler. You don't know. Like you're just, you're just you're just you're just being bitter and cynical. After this year, I might I might a little bit be inclined to agree with you. Tell us a little bit about for new listeners your history with the Globes and what you think of them. Uh, I've always felt that they've got them they've got it wrong. the The way they divide up their categories, the the films that get nominated, it's like everything that should be nominated doesn't, and eventually gets nominated when the Oscars get announced uh, in a in a few weeks. That's generally what happens. I don't respect the awards. I don't think <laughs> that they choose the right movies. And and again, one thing we need to always remind people is that award shows of any type are all about money and commercialization of those properties. Um, so Zach, tell us about about some of the winners from last night. Yes. Uh, well, it, really, the categories are kind of a whole thing. And I'm going to be honest. We should probably just pick a few out of here. We're yeah. not going to go through the whole thing. This is not an itemized list. This is a brief overview because, frankly, I'm kind of in the same camp with Andy. I, I, I'm, I'm kind of over him now, and especially after this year. Just to pick out some of the highlights, all right, let's look at things like uh, I, I don't know, best drama. Best drama went to. Oh gosh, I'm gonna scroll all the way down here. There it is, Bohemian Rhapsody. Right? Yeah. That was uh, like. <laughs> go ahead. Bohemian Rhapsody shouldn't even be on this list. It is a mediocre film. It is here because it was very successful financially. Very paint by numbers. You said it uh, better than I ever could have. You said it kind of feels like a lifetime movie. Uh, this gets competed in Best Picture with Black Panther, Black Klansman, If Beale Street Could Talk, and Stars Born. Now I haven't seen one of those movies, but. 
not to lean too heavily on Rotten here, a lot of people were quick to point out, Bohemian Rhapsody has the worst score out of all of those movies by almost 30%. It's got a, it's oh, in the 60s, geez. and the others are in the 90s. It's yeah. pretty bad. And and for anybody out there thinking, oh, no, the Golden Globes aren't completely bought and paid for. Like, man, I don't know. Like, that's pretty coincidental, you know, I but who knows. Uh, best performance by an actor in a motion drama went to Rami Malek. I wasn't so upset about that. I thought he yes, pretty he much was, held down that whole movie. Yeah, he's very good. Yeah, so I liked him a lot. Best Picture, Comedy or Musical. The categories were Crazy Rich Asians, The Favorite, Green Book, Mary Poppins Returns, and Vice. That went to Green Book because that's a comedy or a musical. Yeah, You know, if I was going to put something in comedy or musical, I'd probably put Bohemian Rhapsody or A Star is Born because both of those are driven by musical numbers. But I guess not. Those are dramas, and Green Book is a comedy, I guess. This very, very odd. But that's arguably that's that's awards season stuff. I mean, even the Oscars play have shenanigans in that way, I think. Yeah. Uh, what do you think? Yeah, I mean it, this this category comedy or musical is always a problem because they put they kind of just shove things in there. Green Book definitely is again, neither of those. It's a lighthearted movie about race. Um if you're gonna nominate if you're gonna choose a winner of those, I'm choosing Mary Poppins for actually being a musical or mm. cra- or crazy rich Asians for being a comedy. Um, the other thing I wanted to talk about is, so Alfonso Cuaron won best director for Roma and best is, picture foreign language Roma. Yes. Yeah. But how, how is his film not in the main category uh, for best drama? Like if you win- are winning best director, your film should probably be in, you know, the top category and it's not, <laughs> and it's, and it's not because it's not in English. Right, because well, it's a fo- because it's a foreign film, and it again, this doesn't happen much, but sometimes a foreign film does rise above kind of everything else. Uh, this reminds me of I think it was nineteen ninety nine when uh ti- hit t- tiger hidden uh hidden tiger no crouching dragon hidden crouching tiger, tiger hidden dragon <laughs> thank you, you got crouching it tiger hidden dragon <laughs> it was nominated for best picture and it was a foreign film so it was nominated in both the foreign language category and in uh, and for best picture it didn't win best picture but it, that was a big first and this Roma should have definitely been in the main category if you're winning best director so I think that that's a real problem for for those awards uh, a lot of people said Bradley Cooper was snubbed for A Star is Born he did not get best director he didn't get best actor and Lady Gaga did not get best actress okay hear me out I'm not super surprised by that because I was a little I was a little critical of A Star is Born. That being said, if I had to throw it to A Star is Born or Bohemian Rhapsody for Best Picture, I would have given it to A Star is Born. Yeah, I mean, uh, A Star is Born is it, it's a better biopic than Bohemian Rhapsody because Bohemian Rhapsody is is very much like uh, rose-colored glasses telling of this of this band, whereas. Um, a Star is Born very much tells a real st- story of mu- of music and artistry and kind of the pain of addiction. And like there's lots of themes and kind of um, underlying tones and uh, other kind of subtext in that, that film. It's very deep. And that's something I could watch again and again or, or revisit it every couple of years. I never want to sit through Bohemian Rhapsody again. It was a guilty pleasure for me, but yeah, I get it. Ultimately, a lot of disappointments on this list, and not disappointments necessarily because the films they picked were bad, but because there was better films. There were better choices, and a lot of people say, well, this is based on foreign markets, and a lot of this is, I don't know, a lot of people are bribed. I I don't know. I I like to imagine award season awards aren't you know, aren't quite up in the air like that. But looking at a list like this, after after watching movies for a year, I got to be honest, I was a little bit more invested than I thought I would be, and I was pretty disappointed. So yeah, w- when you think about our top ten lists that we did last year, and how many films are on there that are nowhere to be seen in <laughs> these, and I, and I think and the Oscars does better uh, about this. We we hear more about uh, a little bit more obscure, more artistic film, and but I mean those awards are are flawed as flawed as well. Just not near as flawed as these. Yeah. Well, there were a couple standouts on here. One, namely Olivia Coleman for the favorite. Thank you. Uh, the one award it got outside of the complete snubbery. And two, uh, Netflix getting, uh, sorry, Spider-Man getting uh, Best Animated Picture. But, perfect transition, Netflix had some hits in there. Netflix stock rose uh, after five Golden Globe wins. Uh, they, they're actually doing well. And Netflix won five of these things, which is pretty good. Of course, 
big credit to Roma. But that being said, Alfonso Cuaron is not necessarily an opposer of Netflix. He's kind of into it. What do you think about this? Uh, yeah, a couple of stories here. So uh, their stock went, Netflix's stock went up 6% today after winning the awards. And again, that that, that brings us back to what we need to remind people of that uh, the awards are very much about business and it's business opportunities left and right for the studios, for the properties, for the actors. Um, there's a lot of money tied into the awards and they don't want you to think about that. They want you to, to sit there and argue about what is better, what film is better than what film and what actors should have. You know, they want you to talk about that, but that's not what really this awards or any awards are about. Um, and as far as uh, Alfonso Cuaron, y- y- yes, there was an interesting uh, moment when uh, a report or a journalist asked him, you know, uh, is is stream our streaming services killing independent cinema? And he right. he said no. He said no. My film was seen by by so many more people by coming out on Netflix than if it would have had a traditional theatrical uh, run. Um, and while it's a beautiful film that I would have loved to have seen on on the big screen, I may not have gotten around to it. And there's lots of people who just w- wouldn't have, or a lot of theaters who wouldn't have, have ran it. So I, I think it, if anything, it it helps to prop up the independent filmmaker because you have a, a higher likelihood of getting financed or of getting your film purchased, and you don't have to worry about the financial risk as much with a lot of these streaming services. I was surprised to see that comment from Alfonso Cuaron, not because I didn't think he believed in Netflix, but I honestly thought this was a pet project for him. This was kind of an experiment. Like, I'm just going to do this thing that I don't think is going to be huge anywhere else. And it came out and it worked great. I think looking at that, taking his temperature on it, at least from far away, it seems like he's pretty invested. Like, I I, I look forward to seeing another film of his on Netflix if, because exactly that, like, he came out with Gravity, and it did pretty well, and it won Oscars, but ultimately it was in the $5 bin at Walmart like a month later. But this is, like, huge, and a lot of people don't get it, but they can revisit it. Like, it, it gives it it gives it a new kind of life in, in an odd way. So I'm, I guess I'm glad to see he's behind it. I'm bummed people like Spielberg aren't, but hopefully it goes somewhere. In regards to Netflix killing independent cinema, this definitely gives them a seat at the table. I mean, they've had one, but this definitely gives them uh, some, you know, some weight, I guess, something to throw around a little bit. Like, hey, listen, it's not all, you know, it's not all bad. Five Golden Globes is definitely worth something. Yeah, d- definitely. And like I said, they're producing movies that may n- have not gotten made by anyone else. Mm. Like, I don't know if anyone else would have taken the risk uh, to make Roma or just taken the loss to make Roma. One thing's for sure, as we're transitioning out of our news here and into our first review, uh, and, and I know this is probably not worth even engaging because... It's speculation. There's nowhere to get from it. But hear me out. If Roma had come out in a theater, I bet it wouldn't be long before it got added to the Criterion Collection. I wonder if it'll ever make it because it's on Netflix. I wonder if Criterion people are like, that's not real cinema. Like, that's not. <laughs> we can't charge $45 for that. I would hope not. I, I would hope the good people at Criterion would see past that. I guess we'll have to uh, just have to see. And with that, uh, over, over plenty of news, oh my God, that's a lot of news. We should move into our first review. I'll try to keep this one quick. Uh, the film is Mary Poppins Returns. Mary. Poppins, you came back. You seem hardly to have aged at all. Really? One never discusses a woman's age, Michael. Would have hoped I taught you better. So Mary Poppins Returns is a... It's a sequel, I should say. I'd like to say it's a remake, but it kind of isn't. It's set about 30 or 40 years after the original film in a Depression-era London. We follow the Banks' children, uh, Michael and Jane. They're now older, but living in their same old house in 17 Cherry Tree Lane. Uh, when they have, or I'm sorry, Michael has three children. Uh, and... and They're having some troubles in their life, financial in particular, but also parenting, of course, with the three little kids. And and Jane's trying to help out, but she's also an activist, just like her mom was. And uh, Michael's just trying to be a dad. And uh, just when everything is seeming bleak, uh, Mary Poppins returns from the sky. Hasn't aged a day, according to the characters in the film, because she is not uh, 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 Miss... Oh, my God, I forgot the name of the original. Julie Andrews. Yes, that's it. Uh, She is not Julie Andrews, played by Emily Blunt, but she's here to help the family get their things back together and hopefully become better people for it. 
just like the original. Through magic and whimsy, she plans on making this happen. Somehow she knows all. She is the great and wonderful Mary Poppins. Andy, what did you think of Mary Poppins Returns? Well, you know, I don't have like a real special place for Mary Poppins. Like I, I mean, I probably saw it when I was a kid, but it's not, doesn't, it's not near and dear to me or anything like that. And I wasn't really looking forward to that much. But I really, really enjoyed it. Like, it, it really surprised me. Um, I, I really liked it. I was really blown away by the spectacle of it all. Um, you know, it was Disney being as Disney as Disney can be. It had uh, great sets, great songs, good performances. Uh, yeah, it was just really enjoyable. H- had had very, you know, touched on really serious subjects, um, surprisingly. It was was really moving, and it was just a, a lot of fun. I, I Like I said, I was really surprised, and I really enjoyed it. This movie had everything going for it for me, and I'll tell you why. Because one, I absolutely adored the original Poppins. I don't, I, I don't care who knows it. Um, I <laughs> thought that movie was super rad. It had Dick Van Dyke, and it had super cool special effects back in the day that they couldn't do, like putting people in an animated scene, or having them interact with characters, or even having Dick Van Dyke float on the ceiling. Like it was just a spectacle of a film for this simple movie about a nanny helping out with some kids, and and I never really got the magic of it. I never really understood that, but this movie, and everything going forward as well, new Mary Poppins, Emily Blunt, uh, Ben Wishaw, a, a, a pet favorite of mine. I love that dude. He can do no wrong to me. And a handful of other actors and actresses. A similar setting and that Disney magic. And let me tell you, at first, I wasn't super into it, and I wanted to see it, but I got there, and, and the opening number starts, and I was like, okay, okay, this isn't quite what I wanted. But as the movie went on, somehow... The longer it went, the better it got. And it wasn't that, oh, it gets better like in structure and act. No, it's just the spectacle of it. Like you said, every scene, every musical number just gets cooler. And every single thing, I thought, man, they they put so much work and effort into this, into animating and shooting this and choreographing this and writing. Like every, the, the longer it went, the more it adds up to be this complete package of like an incredible film. I was genuinely impressed. Uh, I thought it would be cool. It turns out it was really, really, really cool. The first thing, uh, you were not a big fan of the original, but any thoughts on the characters? Emily Blunt is Mary Poppins, the Banks children, the littler Banks children, Lin-Manuel Miranda as, as Jack the Lamplighter. <laughs> What'd you think? Um, I, I thought Emily Blunt was fantastic. Again, I, I, I don't remember the original very well, and I purposely avoided it just so I, I would have kind of a different perspective on on this film. Uh, but I thought she was just incredibly charming, and, you know, she she sings her own part. Uh, you know, she's got a wonderful voice. Um, I, I love Ben Wishaw as well. The rest of the cast is fantastic. Um, I'm trying to trying to think. What else did you ask? Children? Yeah, I I mean I was the impressed. kid actors. Yeah, I, that's a thing. I was impressed all around. Yeah, I thought the kids were phenomenal. They had really good good voices as well. Um, like I said, the weakest part of the film was probably the beginning with Lin Manuel Miranda. Uh, yeah, kind of, that opening number is like a little. It's a little light. I don't know. I just didn't didn't get a lot out of it. Yeah, it it definitely didn't grab me. Um, but yeah, I mean, by the second song, I was like tearing up a little bit and Mary Poppins hadn't even shown up yet. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's, I wonder why that is. Cause I'm trying to figure it out. Maybe it's just a lack of tone. It just opens with a song and like, you don't know any of the characters. You don't really know the setting. And this guy's singing about how much he loves this place. And I'm like, I don't, I can't connect. And therefore it feels foreign. Like it's a new experience to me. And he's talking about how familiar things are. And that felt weird. But aside from that, I thought Emily Blunt was brilliant. Brilliant, I tell you, brilliant, and and I loved I I loved uh, Julie Andrews in the original. She was fantastic, uh, and there there is no real replacement for Dick Van Dyke. But in both of these cases, they definitely played their own versions of the character. Uh-huh. But in Emily Blunt's case specifically, like my God, she she has such she has so much damn charisma as as Mary Poppins. I can't get over it. Like everything she does when she walks around the room, you just have this assumption that she is all seeing and all knowing just like any good nanny, magical indeed, would be. And I loved the way she played up this idea that what she was doing wasn't actually magic. In the original, I assumed that was like her being snarky or sarcastic, but in this, it kind of is. Like they 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 blur that line into whether or not what she's doing is is actually magic or just 
exciting imagination in these kids, so they're imagining what's happened happening right. and and i don't really remember that from the original but doing that as an adult really helps you to connect with the movie there's a great line in the, in the trailer i realize i'm talking too much i need i need to cut myself off here but there's a great line <laughs> in the trailer when uh she, she the, the the banks kids uh, michael and jane ask oh, the banks adults i should say ask why she's back and she says oh you know just like just like last time to help the bank children and the, one of the kids goes who us and she goes oh, yeah you too like, yeah. and that's, that's great. Like, it helps you connect as an adult and as a kid, and I think it makes it a lot more accessible for families. Uh, music. What do you think? I was a really big fan of the music. Um, I, again, my background is, is as a musician, and so I'm always hypercritical of those sorts of things. Um, really love the songs. It's good, ri- good writing, really memorable melodies. I've been playing the, the soundtrack after I got out, so it's... It, it's it's really good writing. It's really catchy. I, I love the song and, and I love the, uh, like the whole show, like the song and dance numbers just kind of get bigger and, and bigger. And again, Rob Marshall, the director, um, he won best picture in 2001 for Chicago, which I still think is probably the best modern movie musical. Um, but you can kind of see his influence of, of doing film musicals because he's also done Nine and Into the Woods, and you know that's really his his background. So I, I thought the music was was phenomenal, and I thought it was uh, you know incredibly memorable songs, and you know we get some modern touches from Lin Manuel Miranda as well. I was impressed by the amount of what felt like tributes to old Disney, if I could describe it in a yeah. way, and and it's it's unfortunate because. We live in a very different time with Disney. Uh, Disney is making live-action sequels. They're hardly writing anything new. They're doing their own things. And, like, it's kind of a bummer, you know? But this, like, had so many moments in it that felt like, man, that that's like a callback to what Disney used to be. And I think Marshall knew that when he was putting this together, not only in the casting of some older folks who I don't want to spoil. Uh, you should just go see the movie to see who's in this movie, but it's surprising. Um, but also in the way it's made. I, I so loved the sequence that was hand animated. That stuff yeah. was stunning. And it's like it was such an odd feeling to watch that from Disney again because it's been so long, you know? Yeah. You get that totally. so rarely. And it was really cool to have a sequence with that in there. And, and it just felt contemporary. I don't know. Somehow they took something old and made it feel new again. It was really, really stunning work. What did you think? Any special effects, thoughts, thoughts on that? Yeah, well, I was going to touch on how you said about, uh, you know, taking the old and making it new. Uh, there's there's a great song with uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda and the, uh, you know, the Learys, the Lamplighters, and wh- where, which is reminiscent of the, the Chimney Sweeper song from the first one. Uh, but, you know, they do these cool things like having, uh, like, BMX bikers in the background, but it, it's, like, hidden. But it's one of those things that makes it modern and brings it into the more modern era, but, but while still kind of doing this old school thing. Um, but the special effects are, are top notch. I, I mean, they really engross you when they kind of travel to otherworldly places. It, you're convinced you're there, and it's it's a lot of fun. Um, yeah, I, I, just, I thought it was really good and enjoyable. I was really impressed by the structure of the whole thing. I, I did think it was weird. Somebody had kind of spoiled it for me, not really. It had told me that there was more of a central antagonist in this film. Christine told me this, but one of her friends said it. I was like, what do you mean central antagonist? The antagonist in the original Mary Poppins is like the struggles of the working class. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, <laughs> and kids trying to connect with their parents. Like that's that's the antagonist. Look at the bank and the mom who's a who's a protester for women's rights. And like there's a whole thing there, you know, and, and Dick Van Dyke is a chimney sweep for God's sake, and and the the the, the hero is a is a nanny. Like obviously there's a whole there's a whole something there. This movie has a little bit more of a, a a central bad guy, but they bring him in in a really interesting way. I was really yeah. surprised by how they just kind of slowly introduce that and use some imagery to tie things together and say, hey, that thing you saw earlier is related to this. That felt pretty easy to connect with, and I feel like, I can't speak for children of all kinds, but ultimately that probably made it easier for kids to connect to, right? Yeah, definitely, because they, they, can, they connect the antagonist with some of the animated parts, mm-hmm. um, and th- which is in a really clever way that definitely speaks to children probably a little bit better. Yeah. Ultimately, I, I liked the way they cast everything, uh, the way it looked. Uh, the special effects were great, but also uh, it, it, it reminded me of, like, Mad Men, the way they dip you back into that era. You know, like, everything looks so genuine and, like, 1930s. You know, it just looks real sharp. Um, 
I just had a lot of fun with it, I guess. And it was a little... I want to say it was a little long, but damn it if it wasn't charming. Like, by, yeah, by the time <laughs> I got to the end of the movie, I kind of wanted to see another number. You know, I, I would have kept watching, so... Yeah, I, I agree with that. I, I did feel it was a tad long. It maybe could have cut one song in the middle, but that that's may that's might be the only criticism I have. I arguably, yeah, there's a song or two they could have cut. Um, I, I I think ultimately, I well, shoot, I, if I'm talking about ultimately, I'm I'm basically down to to recommendations. Are you ready? Any any other thoughts? I am ready. All right, Andy, would you recommend Mary Poppins Returns? Absolutely. It, it's a lot of fun. You know, it's fun for the whole family. And that's what really surprised me. I was like, oh, it's a, it's a family friendly aimed at kids. This is, I'm not going to, I'm not going to enjoy this. And I, and I absolutely did. And my theater was filled with, uh, uh, old, I, I went to really early showings. So it was older, older people. And you, you could tell there were people that had really grown up with the original and were big fans of the original. And I mean, they, they were having a blast. And so was I. So I definitely recommend it. I would recommend it as well. I, I can't believe, I genuinely can't believe how much I enjoyed it, considering how much the ivory tower I put the first one in. Like, considering how tall that is, I couldn't believe how much I like this. I I don't want to say anybody, any actress should get best best actress at the Oscars over my, my girl Rachel Weisz, because she was brilliant in 2018. But... I almost can't be disappointed if it goes to Emily Blunt because she was, I mean, unrecognizable. I, I forgot, genuinely forgot that this was the same woman that was in A Quiet Place. I mean, right. crazy. Yeah, like, and that's that's such a sign of a great actor when it's like you, you, you lose their identity in the role, like, and she really hits it. It was really, really good stuff. Go see Mary Poppins Returns. It's a lot of fun, we promise. Uh, and people say grown uh, dudes in in the middle class <laughs> can't recommend uh, children's musicals. What do they know? Right. The next thing we should talk about, uh, and normally I'd say we'd do a Death of Cinema segment here, but you pointed this out. It's been a while since we've done this. You want to take the reins on it? Yeah, we're going to be doing our 2019 preview January through March. Um, so wh why don't we alternate these and I'll, uh, I'll start with, uh, the first one here. All right. We got about, uh, well, we've got eight of these to go over. We got about <laughs> 10 minutes, so we'll, we'll keep it brief, but yeah. All right. Yeah. Uh, so January, not much. It's January's really bad for releases this month. The only thing we're looking forward to, and I'm really hyped about this is M. Night Shyamalan's Glass. Uh, this is the third part in his uh, surprise trilogy, um, which begins with Unbreakable, 2001 2002 and then split which came out in 2016 and now glass and i don't want to talk too much about that but those first two films are, are really good especially unbreakable it's probably it's probably my favorite Shyamalan film uh, and i'm really excited to see where where he goes something i'm really excited about in this movie and i haven't seen unbreakable or split and i'm planning on seeing both of them before we go see this film so I'm going to go in fresh, or I'm going to go in, you know, knowing what I need to, but also fresh from seeing the films. It's worth noting here, Split came out on almost the same weekend two years ago. Right. Three years ago, I think. 20, 2017, I'm sorry, two years ago. Shamlon has carved out a brilliant place, because if his movie bombs, it's just another January bomb. But if it does even remotely well in a very dry month when there's nothing good to see at the movies, he stands a huge chance of making some serious cash. It's really clever. It reminds me of, uh, of uh, um, the guy who made Titanic, Jesus, uh, James, James Cameron, Cameron <laughs> putting out Titanic in December. And everybody's like, what the hell are you doing? Why would you put that out in the middle of winter? Nobody goes to the movies then. And he said, that's exactly it, because nobody's there. Like, it gives me the opportunity to have a space where my movies can do well and Glass and M. Night Shyamalan are doing that. And I think that's really cool because you're right. January's dead. This could be really neat. The second movie, the Lego movie two, the second part in early February, <laughs> just a week before, just a week before Valentine's. I don't think that's coincidence. They want those romantic couples to go on a date night to go see the Lego movie two, and it'll be cute. And it'll be great. I'm looking forward to it, which is surprising because a sequel to an animated film is not something I'd say I'd be super into. We live in an age of crazy sequels, but damn it. if the, That's the third time I've said damn it on this show. <laughs> uh, damn if, if the Lego movie wasn't awesome. 
just like the song says. <laughs> exactly. And for what it's worth, yeah, like this movie could be just as good. I can't help but go in with an open mind because, frankly, when I first saw the Lego movie, I thought it was going to be pretty lame, and I left humming the theme song. Like it's it, it has potential to be just as good or totally horrible, but either way, I'm going to be tuned in. What do you think? Yeah, I'm looking forward to it as well. I was a big fan of, of the first one, and, you know, it spawned uh, a couple of spinoffs, the the, um, the Batman Lego movie, which was, was really good. Probably one of the better Batman movies out there, and a better Arguably. look at the, one of the, the, you know, kind of more accurately depicts uh, the character. Um, I'm definitely looking forward to it. It looks funny. I love Chris Pratt. I guess you're the next one, or should I take it? <laughs> yeah, no, I'll, I'll take it. Uh, so uh, on Valentine's Day itself is Alita Battle Angel. Now, this was supposed to come out uh, in the fall, I think, and it keeps getting pushed back, which worries me a little bit. Uh, but this is an animated slash live action um, action movie that's uh, based on a very popular uh, manga series uh, of the same name uh, starring Christoph Waltz. Um, I don't really know too much about it. I, I like how it looks. I worry about how much it's been pushed back, but I'm definitely looking forward to it. I can jump in here because I actually, back in the day, believe it or not, uh, read a couple of Alita Battle Angel mangas. Uh, here's the pitch behind, behind Alita Battle Angel. Essentially, uh, in, in some Neo-Tokyo future or some, some kind of you know super sci-fi Japanese, uh, a scientist finds in a junkyard a, a pieces of a like an android or a cyborg or a robotic uh, girl, essentially. And he puts her back together and kind of crafts her. And he's like, hey, yeah, look, you're you're a walking, talking thing. And this is a world where there's a lot of these, of course. And and she doesn't really know who she is or where she came from. And over time, she discovers that she is a like a soldier of war, essentially. So that's right. the setup. Um, interested? Pretty sure it's going to bomb. And that bums me out. Uh, we'll probably go see it for this show because there's not a whole lot good coming out around then. But, um, man, I I think that – I don't think they can breach that uncanny valley. It just looks too weird. Like, people look at the main character and they're like, that looks weird to me. Yeah. And people won't go see it because of that. And that bums me out, but I think that's where we're at. It just doesn't quite – that style they're going for where it's kind of half anime, half real, like it's just a little too weird for people. What do you think? Yeah, I, I think that might be the case. I mean, it is Robert Rodriguez that I am a big fan of as, as well, but I, I think it – We'll have a hard time finding an audience. I think it'll have good action, though, because it is Rodriguez, so for what it's worth. The next movie, How to Train Your Dragon, The Hidden World, on February 22nd, the third in the How to Train Your Dragon series. One of many products out of there, actually, because they have a Netflix series. I think they had a Cartoon Network series. Um, DreamWorks has been working on How to Train Your Dragon for a little while, and it might have been bubbling in the background for the rest of us cinephiles out there, but the fact is, it's got some staying power. And they've got their cast back from the original. They got Jay Baruchel re- 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 redoing his old role, reprising his old role. America yeah. Ferreira and her thing. They've got a new Night Fury, which is the opposite of, of, of the, the protagonist dragon. It's like a white female version, of course, because that's getting older. <laughs> you have to have to have a love story. You got to give him a girlfriend. That's right. That's right. Uh, our main character, Hiccup, is older. It is a progression of story similar kind of to Toy Story 3, but a little bit more lighthearted, I think. Uh, what do you think? Any hot takes? Uh, I'm a big fan of the series. Uh, a friend of mine was a, was a huge fan of the first one, and uh, I wa- I first watched it on you know at, at home, really liked it, and then saw the second one in theaters. and And I, I, I like the way this one looks too. The animation is always really impressive. Again, as Mark Kermode says, we're in a golden age of animation. Uh, so I'm definitely looking forward uh, to this one as well. Um, and that's going to take us into March. Uh, yes. Where we we have some really big releases, the first being Captain Marvel. Oh um, man! From from Marvel Studios, it's finally here. the The first movie since um, was it not not event Infinity War, out? right? Infinity War, yeah, that's right. The first proper Ant Man. Ant Man is like a, a yeah. proper follow up. Kinda. But usually we would have had something in the fall and we didn't. So this is going to be, you know, the first uh, Marvel film of the year, just two months before, about a month and a half actually before uh, Avengers Endgame. Uh, so I'm super stoked, super excited. The story centers around Carol Danvers, who is Captain Marvel and her origin, which I'm not familiar with at all. So I'm excited to go in and kind of learn all about that. Uh, Zach, what do you think? I don't want to be a purveyor of fake news on here, but did you see that image of her wearing like a helmet in her outfit? Any, (laughs) there's somebody out there listening to this right now going, wait, what are they talking about? Just go Google it. It's fine. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, optimistic, frankly, regardless of that, because for all I know, it could be shopped. I, I mean, who knows? Um, I, I think it looks rad. I, I think if they're going to have her wear some kind of helmet thing, uh, that's dangerous. Um, but for what it's worth, like, it does look cool. I am excited to see where the Marvel Universe goes. I can't believe I'm saying that after 20 films, but <laughs> I do want to know what happens next. And if this is a step towards that, then by God, it's going to be great. So, right. And also, I think, you know, I'm excited to see another female protagonist in the Marvel Universe. They need more of them. Right. That, that's what I was going to touch on is this is the first the first Marvel film after 20 films that's uh, female-led. Uh, film, which is it's a good thing, but it's also kind of taking a little bit too long to get here. But it's good, it's good that it's finally happening, you know. And, and it'll we'll see how this compares to DC's Wonder Woman and uh, how those two kind of female-led uh, films, yeah, just compare to each other. But I, I'm definitely super stoked for it. Me too. Our next film uh, about halfway through March. It is Jordan Peele's Us. And it's not actually prefaced with Jordan Peele. It's just Us, and that's the title. I knew very, very little about this movie like everybody else. And then right before Christmas, right? Thanksgiving? Yeah. Uh, uh, no, tra- it was uh, Christmas Day. Christmas Day. Uh, a trailer dropped. And the trailer looks awesome. It, it manages to hang on to that tone from Get Out, or at least the trailer makes it look like it does. It looks like it has something to say bigger than just being a horror film. And my God, it looks pretty creepy too. What do you think? Yeah, I, I mean, this trailer, like, I was saying last week, it really creeped me out, and it was also just, it was done so well, it was so stylistic, and just really grabbed me in, and and no one knew how he was going to follow up Get Out, and I mean, this looks really creepy, and it looks like there's also going to be, you know, some social commentary in there as well, Um, so I'm definitely going to be there opening night. Um, Our our next film, uh, we don't really know a lot about this, other than it's directed by Richard Linklater, and that's why we're bringing it up. Where do you go, Bernadette? The, this stars uh, Kate Blanchett as a mother, and she has a daughter and husband, Billy Crudup. Uh, <clears throat> one day, Bernadette just kind of disappears, and the uh, the daughter goes on a mission to kind of find out where she goes, because no one knows where she's just kind of disappeared to. And along the way, the daughter kind of discovers the, the mother's kind of kind of troubled past. Uh, that's all I know about this, this setup. And again, the only thing that I'm excited about is that it's Richard Linklater, and we haven't seen anything from, from him for a while. I don't know a whole lot about this. You're right. I had seen a trailer. Um, I saw you put it on the list here, and I, right before the show, I was like, what, what, what is this? Hold on. What, what is Where'd You Go, Bernadette? You said it's Richard Linklater, and I watched the trailer, and I was like, oh, right, 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 right. See, I kind of remember this. Um, I hope it's not as forgettable as the trailer is. I hope there's a little bit more to it. And you're right, it's Linklater. I'm sure it'll go somewhere. It's got Kate Blanchett, so I'm sure, I'm sure it's worth something. But I, it's just odd i guess i feel like i think of link letter and i think of like big releases you know and like this one i just didn't i don't know it didn't really land on on the radar for me but i'm interested to see where it goes that's going to compete with one other film that comes out that day uh the 22nd of march that is our last film we're discussing in this preview that is harmony kareen's the beach bum and let me tell you i've got a twisted history with harmony kareen by <laughs> twisted i mean i haven't really seen any of her movie his movies but I yeah. don't think I'm going to like them because from the people I know who have seen them and enjoy them, I don't get along with them. Maybe <laughs> I will. Maybe that's totally wrong. But, man, I remember being in film school when Spring Break Spring Breakers came out. My God. Spring Break. Spring Break. Spring that was a whole break thing. Forever. Yeah, yeah, Spring oh, Break man. Forever. And, and James Franco wearing a stupid grill. And this movie looks very similar. It is the story of a rebellious stoner named Moondog played by... Uh, what's what's his man, Matthew McConaughey. Matthew McConaughey. It also stars fascinating characters such as Snoop Dogg's, quote, lingerie. It's the name of the character. Martin Lawrence plays a character named Captain Whack, and Zac Efron plays a guy named Flicker. So I'm sure it's going to be awesome. Uh, it actually does look neat, but we've only ever seen one trailer. That's all we know. The same trailer over and over and over again. We need something new. We need some fresh blood, Harmony Kareen. What do you think, Andy? Uh, so I'm a huge uh, fan of his. He did um, Kids back in, in the day. That was kind of hit how where he made his mark back in, in the mid-90s. Or I think he wrote Kids, maybe not directed. Um, I was a big fan of Spring Breakers. It was incredible, incredibly artistic film about like American youth excess and uh, it has some really artistic moments. There's this great sequence where uh, these people are robbing other people to, to a slowed down version of... Britney Spears, uh, 
every time. Yeah. Um, there's some real artistic things that, which I think you, you would love knowing you. Um, so I'm looking, I'm looking forward to this because while his movies are incredibly artistic, he's also trying to say something. He's trying to make commentary on something just like spring breakers did with, you know, kind of American youth. So I'm, I'm interested to see that angle um and to see where this goes and and like zach efron looks so ridiculous he has he just looks like i mean he also looks like a beach bum himself yeah um but yeah i'm definitely excited uh for this Mm. well with that uh that is our january through march preview stay tuned right around march we'll probably be doing this again for the next three months but until then uh we've got many more reviews to come so hit that subscribe button and get involved with the show uh god what a shameless plug our last preview film film review good lord of the evening andy please you've graciously agreed to take the summer on this take it away beautiful boy do you know how much i love you i love you more than everything 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 uh, so this is an Amazon Prime uh, funded film uh, that came out in the fall, uh, directed by Felix Van Gro. Oh gosh, should have practiced this. Groengen. Van Grongen. I yeah, I have no idea. I, sh- yeah. I should have looked that that up. Groeningen. Gr- <laughs> um, I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyways, so the, the film is based on on the memoirs uh, by David Chef and Nick Chef, um, and it deals with a father and son dealing with addiction, specifically the the child. Um, Play, in this case, played by Timothy Chalamet, and the father is played by Steve Carell. And uh, the son is this brilliant kind of uh, smart kid, and he, he's part of a you know upper upper middle class family, growing up in San Francisco in the '90s. Kid got ha- kind of has everything going for him, everything he needs, but then he kind of discovers crystal meth and decides that that's really cool instead. Um, and so. It, we kind of get into a cycle that the film in the first half hour. Or so, uh, the kid gets addicted. He goes to rehab. He works through it. He gets out of rehab, starts doing better. And then he relapses. And the rest of the film is him going through several relapses. Um, and is, you know, it's kind of a stark look at addiction and how it affects the family, how it affects the individual, how it affects society. Um, so it's, it's a tough film uh, heavy subject, and that's that's kind of the setup. Uh, Zach, what'd you think? I think it's tough to talk about this movie without talking about its structure, and I think it's a good place to start. Uh, overall, I enjoyed it, and I guess I can't say I'm surprised if it, like one of those movies like I was destined to like. People were like, "Oh my God, it's got Timothy Chalamet, and he's incredible in it, and he's probably going to get an Oscar." Like it was a whole there was a whole buzz around this movie, and a very convincing, dramatic trailer. Um, I, I think let's talk about the way it's put together because you're right. Pretty early on in the film, it's, hey, uh, this character is doing crystal meth. What do we do about it? And then it just keeps, keeps dragging. Happening. Yeah, like, and it, it, it's, it's, it's challenging and, and you keep thinking. I mean, at, at some point, like, it, me as a, as, a, as a audience member, like, I, I really became a cynic. And I was surprised to find other characters in the film started to as well, which helps you connect. Because at some point, you're like, when, when is this going to be over? When am I, and not, not the movie, I mean, but, like, the, the trials of the character. The right. way the story is told is fantastic. It's told a lot through flashback and time jumps and, and, and jump cuts on occasion. And it's never, like, really telegraphed to you in an obvious way. It's just visually engaging. Like, it'll, it'll cut from a shot of a character standing outside with their older son to a character standing, sitting inside with their younger son. And it's very obvious, okay, those are two different times, you know? Yeah. Without having to tell us, hey, you're in a different time now, you show us. And, like, that was really, really neat. And the, the whole movie is that way. The whole thing is really, really effective. What do you think? I actually wasn't really impressed with, with this movie. Um, I really wanted to like it. I'd heard a lot of buzz about it, too. Um... I just thought it was kind of middle of the road for me. It wasn't, it didn't take on the subject of addiction kind of seriously enough or as dark enough. Like there's a lot of, there's a lot of, you know, 
you see people beginning to use drugs and you, you see a lot of drug imagery, but it's still very clean. When I think of of, peop, of films that have taken this on, you know, I think of something actually like The Fighter where Christian Bale is a crack addict and he, I mean, he's emaciated for the role and he's he hangs out in these like grotesque um, crack houses. And, you know, and then I also think of things like Requiem for a Dream that are, is a much more artistic approach to addiction and i felt like this movie did couldn't choose one way or the other it wasn't dark enough or dramatic enough and it also wasn't artistic enough it just kind of tells the story straightforward not a whole lot happens after the first 40 minutes because it's just on repeat and then there's again not a lot else going on there's not really any subplots or none of the other characters are really in, important and I, I just really struggled to uh to get into it i checked my watch a lot i did not think that timothy chalamet was anything special i don't th- didn't think he was bad but i didn't think it was like oscar worthy or anything like that so it, i def it definitely didn't really connect with me it's tough <laughs> All right, let's continue with the review. It's tough. Uh, that, yeah, now, now that we know where you stand. It's tough because you're right. Like, in a lot of ways, it leaves so much to be desired. You never get into really what the dad does or how they have this wonderful property in New York while the mom has this gorgeous place in L.A. I'm like, who are these people? Are they loaded? Like, what the hell lifestyle are these kids coming from? The, the kids, uh, specifically the beautiful boy, has everything given to him in his life, and he's incredibly successful, and all I could think is like, well, of course he's successful. It's because he's had every resource available to him. And I guess that makes the fall more damning, but I gotta be honest, as somebody who didn't have that in my life, I'm like, well, bummer for you, I guess. Don't do crystal... Like, it's tough to connect with him, I guess. Mm -hmm. It's tough to get emotionally invested, because ultimately, not only do I not understand the world he's coming from, I, I was never in it to begin with. So, like, it's it's hard for me to be like, man, that must be really hard for you, you know? Like, I... Yeah, and I it, 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 it's... We have to be careful because, you know, while, yes, uh, there are problems with being wealthy, and it is difficult to ra- when you're wealthy to raise uh, good, good children. I mean, you, children are obviously expensive. They require lots of resources. Give them too many resources, though, and you, get, you have other problems. And that's kind of what this movie is about. A movie that did it much better that's actually available to stream on HBO right now is Traffic from 2000-2001. Uh, Michael Douglas plays uh, like a DEA judge, and his daughter is um, like a, a meth addict or a heroin addict. And, I mean, that's that's a film who takes on this subject incredibly well, you know, shows that addiction is a problem from the highest parts of society to the lowest. Um, and, and it's, I mean, there's some really terrible things that that she eventually ends up doing because she's a, a heroin addict and he has to rescue her at at one point um and you know and that and that's a movie and again in that movie she had everything given to her as well but you cared so much more about her situation despite that you you weren't thinking like well why why is this kid struggling he's, he's got no reason to he's got no reason to do drugs right um, so i that's definitely a problem and it this kind of touches on a larger uh, what is becoming a subgenre of film, which I like to call suburban white white boys that have problems. Yeah, like <laughs> because there's this at the same time uh, movie movie called uh, Boy Erased with uh, Lucas Hedges came out in the fall. Uh, ben is back. Um, also starring and, and, uh, Lucas Hedges. Yes, which is also about about addiction, you know, and and to a lesser extent, uh, mid nineties. At least those, at least mid nineties. He's like in poverty. Um, so I have a really hard time caring about the the character struggle because again, yeah, they have money to to continually put him in rehab. To you know, they send him away to college, which is probably a big mistake as well. But it's like he keeps screwing up, and they just keep kind of like, well, let me keep writing checks, and hopefully the problem will go away. Yeah, I don't want to get too deep into uh, spoilers or anything. This movie has a satisfying, but a little, a little bit of a stark ending. Uh, you know, it, like a, like any base or true story movie, it cuts to credits. It's like here's what happened after the movie. You know, here's what happened in real life. Surprisingly dark. Uh, it, like really, a, kind of a down note to end the film on. I guess hopeful, but at the same time, like um, kind man. of bleak. Yeah, very, very bleak. And it's not. I, I you know I can't I can't say hey this movie's depressing and it sucks. That's not it. Um, 
It's that it just didn't feel earned in a way. You know what yeah, I mean? It just it doesn't say anything about about addiction, and and I just never. I I know that you're supposed to care about the relationship between Steve Carell and his son. That like that's really trying to get you to connect to that, and I just didn't. Right. I was impressed by the performances, specifically, of course, Timothy Chalamet, another outstanding role for him. I uh, really liked him. It, very convincing as Nick Chef. Steve Carell, pretty good, I guess. Um, I, I wasn't sure what exactly he was going for tonally. I know he's capable of more, so I didn't know if, if his goal was like, oh, well, this, this character, my dad, uh, David Chef, I think is his name, this character I'm playing, is supposed to be kind of a reserved, quiet guy, so he's not ever going to get loud and really angry. And I get that. But ultimately, you come off as uncharismatic like by trying to hold yourself back from, from that. So I, I was a little, I don't know, I couldn't quite get into his character. And then all the others just seemed to kind of fall away. Ultimately, those are the two really important ones. What do you think? Um, like I said, I, I, I thought Timothy Chalamet was fine. Um, and that's not a criticism, but I, it wasn't outstanding to me. Cause again, and maybe I shouldn't do this, but I do, again, I compare it to Christian Bale in the fighter. I can compare, compare it to Jennifer Connelly and Jared Leto in, um, Requiem for a dream, which is probably the epitome of don't do drugs movies. Um, have you seen it's Darren Aronofsky, uh, Requiem for a dream. Yeah, yeah of course. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, like I said, this subject has been taken on better and portrayed better by lots of other films. And this just lands somewhere in the middle. Doesn't say very much one way or the other. And again, brings up an issue that I think everyone's pretty aware of. I think we all know that the, this country and the world at large is facing a huge o- opioid epidemic. That's not anything new. And so, you know, the, the movie's not telling us anything we don't already know. Right, Dr- drugs are drugs are bad. They're a big problem. Okay, right. Yes, Dr- drugs drugs are addicting, and once you start them, it's hard to stop. Totally. Uh, people who are addicts relapse relapse a lot. Yeah, man, you're really getting me hating this movie. Like I was, <laughs> I was really into it before. Um, but you're right. I, I think you're making you're making a lot of solid points. We should talk about I don't know setting and tone. I think we already covered it. It's pretty much split between. LA and New York that's pretty much the scene and ultimately yeah it tries to say a lot about drugs but like it's nothing new it's things I feel like we already I don't feel like people are going to watch this and be like wow drugs are real bad I didn't know that before like of course you know yeah again the the dark scenes aren't dark enough for me like if like I you know, if someone overdoses or someone, you know, is, is getting sick off their drugs or you know bad things are happening like you got to portray that I think very just starkly and or or doing in a very artistic way the way requiem for for a dream does it to where it's you know a very artistic way to to portray uh addiction yeah you're right i wanted this you know somebody ods they better not they better not come back that better be one and done that's 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 my drug-based film i'm also i'm reminded of uh bringing out of the dead uh which is um martin scorsese's film with uh nicholas cage plays an ambulance driver there's a couple of times when he has to revive people who have od'd and it's just it's really kind of mind-blowing scenes yeah mm. well uh shoot i i don't want to say you took the wind out of my sails here but i feel like <laughs> i feel like i need to take a look at this film no 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 it's fine uh andy any anything else for recommendations um, I'm I'm trying again. It, oh. it focused so much on the father and son. Nothing, not much else happened. None of the other characters seemed to matter. There was there weren't any subplots or any anything like that. I, again, I I re- was reminded a little bit of Lady Bird that you know mother daughter father son. Yeah, but it, but again, it just wasn't saying much. Uh, one one bright spot. Good soundtrack. A lot of good, lot of good licensed tracks from a lot of different mm-hmm. bands, and yeah. I was impressed by that. Yeah, and, and good, pretty good art direction. Uh, Nick's room and some of his drawings, like I was, I was really impressed with like the way they fleshed out his character. But it's based on a true story, so that could have just been like actual stuff for all I know. I, who knows? But ultimately, yeah. Andy, uh, what did you th- or would you recommend? Uh, Beautiful boy. Uh, it's gonna be a rare no for me. Ooh, um, wow! You know, even though it's on on Amazon Prime and it you can stream it it's it's I was bored to death I mean I looked at my watch and I was like oh we're only 40 minutes in oh my god and this is 2 hours long um it it just it doesn't say much it didn't captivate me I wasn't into the 
you know, I wasn't locked into the relationship between the father and son, which I, I think was supposed to be what, what happened. And, and again, it doesn't tell us anything new. It doesn't tell us anything we don't know. We're not educated. We don't really learn much. The characters don't, don't really change. Um, so yeah, it was, it was kind of disappointing because I'd heard, heard a lot about it and the film had a, a lot of buzz. So yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be for, a no for me, dog. No for me, dog. Ultimately, I think it is a reasonable caution cautionary tale. If you've got like, I don't know if you've got a friend going through rehab or something, maybe it's worth sliding them. It's like a, Hey, listen, like the journey's not over till it's over ever kind of thing. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know ultimately who this movie's for, man. I was so like, I like this. And now I'm like sitting back like, damn, <laughs> I, 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 okay, well here, I'll recommend it. All right. It's on Amazon prime for God's sake. If you got a couple hours, maybe check it out. All right. It's one of those rare occurrences in off script where we're a little split on it, but ultimately I, I think it's worth a couple hours. It's pretty good Steve Carell. It's it's great Timothy Chalamet. The music's all right. The way the film is put together, the editing, like, I enjoyed that. I don't know. I think it's all right. Beautiful boy. Uh, you know, I don't know. It's okay, I guess. <laughs> and with that, uh, that wraps our episode of Off Script. Next week, two exciting films, neither of them theatrical, because January at the movies sucks the first movie real bad is unbreakable m night Shyamalan. yes uh the prequel to split of course the prequel to glass i have not seen either i'm excited to get unbreakable under my belt and then move on to split damn it that's the next time i said it they had it on hbo for like (laughs) six months and i didn't watch it and here we are now i gotta rent it it sucks but we're gonna take the hit and do it for you because we like you a lot yeah, the movie Hell or High Water on Netflix, which I'm excited to see because, my God, that's all people were talking about like two years ago. Have you seen that Hell or High Water movie? My God, Hell or High Water. <laughs> and after the Golden Globes, I wouldn't mind seeing a little bit more Jeff Bridges on my TV. So that's the yeah, way we're going to go. And that's Taylor Sheridan, uh, who also wrote uh, Sicario, Yeah, uh, which we did, did on the show as well. And I was, was just going to say about Unbreakable. So that was the first film that Shyamalan did after The Sixth Sense. And The Sixth Sense was already like the hugest thing when it came out. So it right. was it was his follow-up. It wasn't as well-received, but I think it's a, it's actually a much better better movie. It's, uh, in my opinion, his best. Um, so I'm excited to look into it. And again, we're this is part of what has turned into a 15, 16-year universe. And I watched a little Die Hard right around Christmas, of course. Uh, so I'm excited to see some old-school Bruce Willis again. It'll be good stuff. And... Young Samuel Jackson, who doesn't love that? It's quality. I think this movie, I'm hoping anyway, it's aged real well. So I'm excited to see it. Mm -hmm. If you enjoyed this episode, if you didn't like it, if you thought our Golden Globes hot takes weren't hot takes at all, if you thought Mary Poppins was terrible, if you thought Beautiful Boy was great, if you have any opinions on the uh, January through March films of 2019, uh, slip us a resume at mail at offscriptfilmreview.com. Check out our website at offscriptfilmreview.com. Dot com. We're on Facebook, we're on Twitter, we're on Instagram. Holla at your boys. We're excited to talk to you. <laughs> we like talking about movies. It's all we do. It's obscene. Uh, and with that, thank you for listening to Offscript, the home of Bold Cinema. I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Thanks for listening. <laughs>